at some level that we won't understand, I think this side of eternity is the hinge on which the rest of history turns after the resurrection. Things can be set right with God, reconciliation can mm-hmm. happen, and it, it all finds its place in the resurrection. Welcome to the Essentially Translatable Podcast, brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. I'm Richard Elsky. And I'm Emily Wilson. And before we kick off the episode here, we want to make sure that Essentially Translatable is available wherever and whenever you want. So Emily's here to tell you how you can make that happen right now. Right now. Yeah, and we would love for you to subscribe. You can find all of the podcast content at lbt.org slash podcast or preferably, because then you'll get an alert every time a new podcast comes out, finding us on Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. Spotify is a common one. We would just love for you to follow all of the episodes right when they happen. All right, we are here back in the studio to talk about Easter and the Resurrection of Jesus. I was going to say, maybe I shouldn't have said hooray. Technically, it's Good Friday. But hooray with the hope that we have. We, you know, we are remembering Good Friday, but then also looking forward in hope because we are, in fact, Easter people. That's right. And we are wanting to dive into what the resurrection actually means to us as Christians, as Christ followers, because it's often overlooked, you know, and that sounds strange, but... I think that we're so into the story of the nativity and Jesus' miracles and his death, and then the resurrection is there as an event, but what this means for us is sometimes skipped over. So we're wanting to dig into that. Yeah, for sure. The concept is so familiar to us, I think, and in our mm-hmm. culture and in Christian culture, which and Christianity informs a lot of Western culture. So this idea of resurrection just doesn't seem surprising, but right. it was really surprising then right. and, no, and really idea. altered the trajectory of everything mm-hmm. when you talk resurrection. So yeah. So can we like back that up into sure. the Old Testament what does that look like? What are some examples? Yeah, the resurrection itself is not necessarily a super clear idea in the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, thinking of sacrifices, I mean, the closest sacrifice associated with Easter and resurrection is the Passover, and that has its idea. In God protecting his people, the term for Passover in, in Hebrew is Pasach, and that's a festival. The festival in Exodus twelve eleven is called a festival of Pasach, which has some interesting origins as a as a festival that was celebrated by other folks too. But this one is the Lord's Pasach, the one that is going to remember a certain thing, the way He redeems you. And then in verse thirteen, He says, "When I see the blood over the doorposts, and I come, uh, I will Pasach you." which is to pass over or to just go on by. It's even kind of got some connotations of like, I'm really powerful, but when I see that blood, I'm just kind of kind of scoot on by <laughs> and not and, and cover you with, yeah. and, and that, that's some of the imagery there. But resurrection, it's like, you know, the, the scripture as you are in the Old Testament, you have to kind of look at it of God revealing and then revealing a little more and mm-hmm. then revealing a little more as time goes on. And you do have resurrections in the Old Testament, you have, I think, both Elijah, Elijah. and Elisha mm-hmm. raise yeah. someone from the dead. Yeah. 
so that happens mm-hmm. uh, before Jesus comes, and it's certainly those are both figures that uh, point to Christ. Elisha means my God saves Elijah as Yahweh is God. Mm-hmm. And there's even an interesting one in after Elisha's been dead for uh, quite a long time, there's a funeral happening, and the guys are trying to bury this guy, but the raiding party from the Philistines comes, and so they quick throw his body in the tomb where Elisha's bones are, and it touches Elisha's bones, and the guy comes back to life. So it's, there's uh, there's some resurrections Happy. in the past, yeah, but yeah. not a real clear part of, like, this is what it's going to mean to have a Messiah necessarily. Right, right. So this idea of, like, the, the widow's son, yeah. and what does that mean exactly, like, theologically, if we're going to, to break that down of... Why is that significant? Yeah, I guess you could go at it a couple of different ways. Resuscitation, these are like English words, right? Resuscitation generally has to do with somebody hasn't been dead long. Mm-hmm. And resurrection could be quite some time later. And in the case of the Old Testament examples, these aren't people who have just died, like they've been dead for a little bit. Right. That's one approach. The other, you know, the resurrection of Jesus is the only resurrection that ever happened, Old or New Testament, where Jesus is still alive. The resurrection is a completed right. thing that continues to, to happen where other people raised from the dead eventually died again. That Yeah, that's so, exactly it. Of, yeah. You know, that even though there's the, like, Lazarus in the New Testament that he he's raised, he eventually passed away, right. whereas Christ, the resurrection, is eternal. His, his life goes on. Yeah. So the prophetic claims that he had for rising, because it wasn't really within their frame of reference per se, like yeah. how would that have been interpreted? Yeah, so if you back up a little bit in the Old Testament again in the prophets, they talk a little bit about the day of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And there's this coming day of the Lord that is a little bit vague. The The further you get into the, the prophets, the more things they prophesy will happen in the day of the Lord. And it's a great day and it's a terrible day. You right. know, there's judgment, but there's also vindication. And so all those things happen on the day of the Lord. Sometime in the period between the Old and New Testament, the theology adding resurrection to that does sort of develop. And so by the time, if you're reading in the New Testament, then you'll see at certain points where it will distinguish the the Jewish party of the Pharisees believe in a resurrection. The Sadducees right. don't believe in a resurrection, which is why they're sad, you see. Oh, my word. And <clears throat> So there is something that happens there, and you'll see that as the Pharisees or the Sadducees come to test Jesus, they'll ask him questions and say, well, in the resurrection, how will this be? So there's this idea of this this resurrection that will happen somewhere out there that some people believe will and some people believe won't, but still... It seems pretty distant. So I would say that as Jesus is talking about, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die, and then on the third day be rise. That's not, that's not like, mm. that's much quicker than people right. would anticipate. That's that's a category of resurrection that it doesn't seem that people are thinking about. Okay. And you can see in, uh, in every instance, I was going through the Mark and the Luke versions of it last night, and uh, every time he says he'll rise again, it always says that, like the disciples were confused by it or its right. meaning was hidden from them or something like that. So it just wasn't, it in wasn't understood. It wasn't yeah. in the frame of reference that this would be what it means to be a Messiah, not to rise again, much less to suffer and die in the first place. So, yeah. So for some of us who have been raised in the faith and, you know, this might seem like a really simple question, but there's a lot of implications to, to break down of, what changed because of the resurrection? What changed 
for his followers, what changed for us, given this resurrection that completely altered our posture, our relationship with God and the people around us. Yeah. The thing at first for Jesus' original followers with the resurrection and, you know, you think about Easter Sunday and the big church celebrations that you might have, those are because we definitely, informed by the Spirit and living well this side of the resurrection, know that this is an event that happened and celebrated. But on the first Easter, nobody expected a resurrection, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Even though he said. <laughs> right, yeah. Or as I've heard it said before, nobody expected nobody <laughs> in the tomb, right? Right. So they went to the tomb. There wasn't a big countdown. And when he wasn't there, nobody thought, you know what? He had been saying he was going to rise again from the dead. I wonder if that's what happened. People mm-hmm. were genuinely confused and bewildered and afraid. Mm-hmm. And even after Jesus appeared to them, some had their faith strengthened, some still didn't believe. If you read the Great Commission in Matthew 28 preceding that, when it says Jesus appeared to them on the mountain, it says some still doubted, like some right. in the crowd that are seeing him right there, right. still doubted, like, I cannot believe eyes. And that is how you know significant resurrection really is. Like, mm-hmm. can this actually mm-hmm. be the case? But you can certainly see the impact of it as, as you keep going through the New Testament narrative and the Holy Spirit is given to the apostles and, and other believers that they become bold and the thing they point to most when they stand and talk to the church leaders or those who are accusing them, not the church leaders, but the, the leaders of the Jews mm-hmm. who are accusing them or asking them to stand down, is they always point to that resurrection first. They don't, they, that is the thing. It's like taught a lot of great things. You know, there's a lot of wisdom there, but the thing that changed it for them is we saw a dead man mm-hmm. risen again. And he told us to follow him and tell everybody, and we ask you, is it right to obey you or to obey God? Mm -hmm. So as far as it changed for them, like, but what does it change for us? Like, because of Christ's resurrection, what are the implications for us as being Easter people living into that hope? Yeah. I'm a church person, you know, I I grew up in church, I'm a church insider, and and, but what I see is that we spend, you know, the six weeks of Lent— and have extra services and extra focus, and then there's the symbolism of Jesus' suffering and death, which are are huge, but it is the resurrection that is the thing that changes everything. And just like, you know, the God of the Old Testament, there was no real image that you could capture that. There's not really a good image for resurrection, right? Like you you can wear a cross, but it's hard to wear a picture of an empty tomb. (laughs) (laughs) But it's the resurrection that, that, you know, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain. So what does it change? Well, it changed everything for everybody. Really, at some level that we won't understand, I think this side of eternity is it, it is the hinge on which like the rest of the of history turns after the resurrection things can be set right with god reconciliation can mm-hmm. happen and it, it all finds its place in the resurrection so there's i don't know there's a a need to celebrate there i'm not exactly answering your question yet because i want to really dwell on this for a second that it could be that somebody if they were completely outside of the christian faith wouldn't know how important the resurrection is by the way that we we practice our faith in terms of what we focus on. We do focus on Jesus' sacrifice for us, his love for us, and none of these things are wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, all the wisdom of Scripture and God's counsel, God's full counsel through the Word of God, but how can you focus on the resurrection and just dwell there for a little bit? The, The church calendar, which the Lutheran Church follows, does allow for six weeks 
after, right? yeah. after Lent to, yeah. to balance out that six yeah. weeks of, mm. of Easter. Um, and even so, yeah, I, I haven't been in too many congregations where we're shouting, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, as loudly on you know, the <laughs> fourth Sunday after Easter. <laughs> the pastor always has to remind as we <laughs> As we are on that day. So yeah. Easter Sunday is, it's just the thing that changes everything. So I'm, I'm thinking about all of the, the hype, if yeah. you will, around Christmas. Right. You know, like there's just so much of people like having this focus of Christ coming into the world to save us from our sins. And there's just so much joy at Christmas. Yeah. And it feels like, you know, with all that lead up, and I know it's, a lot of it is cultural, right? Mm-hmm. But there seems to be just Easter feels cut short. Right. Like and that not necessarily within the church, but maybe within the cultural mindset. Why do you think that is like of the the readiness that we have to just adopt like this Christmas sort of mentality? And then Easter, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've already heard it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. There's so many, so many directions to go on that. I mean, you don't have to go back more than about 150 or 200 years ago, and you find that Christmas is not nearly as emphasized mm-hmm. in culture, especially in the United States or Western culture, and how it grew in influence and so forth. As you said, it's a lot to do with culture. It's a lot to do with the time of year it happens, and right. we're ready for something <laughs> merry and bright at that point. Cause right. the I think the exclusive claims that Easter also makes upon us Mm. makes it less likely that culture wants to celebrate it as much because everybody can get behind Jesus meek and mild and the great teacher coming into the world and showing us how to do good things and you know to to be generous at this time of year and all the stuff that comes with Christmas but Easter with making the claim that Jesus suffered and died in a very real place and, you know, under certain circumstances for this reason and then rose again gives the implication that this means something for you. Right. And, and culture is not really ready mm-hmm. to receive that. Also, I think in, in the Western context, it happens in the spring and in very practically speaking, I mean, you get past Easter, then you got Mother's Day and you got confirmation in the church and mm-hmm. you got graduation and you got summertime and... So build up, it just yeah, right. you know that there's that tendency of you know when when you see a crucifix, I know like for a lot of people that is like that constant reminder of Christ's sacrifice. Yeah. Growing up, the church that I went to, it was an empty cross mm-hmm. because we were remembering the resurrection. But I remember too, we had a, a a pastor come through, and I was I was actually kind of surprised. He said, you know. The, the glory the you know is in the cross and we always had you know our pastor would always emphasize it was actually in the empty tomb mm-hmm. the glory like wasn't wasn't stopping at the cross right because that wasn't where the victory was the victory was after you know after the sacrifice the the rising from the dead conquering over sin and death and and breaking that curse so yeah, do you feel like that that sort of dynamic within the church does that lend itself to maybe poor theology <laughs> or, or or conflict within us as we're we're trying to to serve and 
be Christ followers. Yeah, I think a couple of things. I mean, I think that what you've described is the, a holistic approach, that Jesus' suffering and death means nothing if he doesn't rise from the dead, right. and yet if he rises from the dead without the suffering right, and death, right. it also yeah. means nothing. And there's something really you know, powerful that God decided to do by, like, he didn't just die and then say, yep, that was it, and rise him right there. Like, he had to be dead in the ground mm-hmm. three days. If you pull the yep. incarnational stuff from Christmas forward to Good Friday and Easter, here is the second person of the Trinity mm-hmm. incarnate as a human being, fully God, but fully man, and that man is dead for s- several days. Right. <laughs> that is the depths of everything breaking you know that Mm -hmm. uh, and then then it being made right with the resurrection Uh, on the other hand i think it's just it's so hard to understand you know birth is something that most of us are familiar with in in Mm -hmm. uh, at various degrees and levels we understand it resurrection we just don't we don't expect it you know people have appeared to be dead or been dead and Mm -hmm. come back alive again since jesus as well um nobody ever expects that's what's going to happen right right C.S. Lewis, in one of his books, I think it is Mere Christianity, talks about how basically, now I'm just talking about Christ followers, because I don't expect, you know, culture that's not Christian to really lean into resurrection. The spiritual things are discerned by the Spirit, and Mm -hmm. right, the Spirit is given by God. But for those of us who are Christian still, as C.S. Lewis says, we're just satisfied far too easily. Like Christmas (laughs) is, you know, it's wonderful. We can wrap our minds around it, but this thing here is huge, and it just changes everything. Yeah. So as I was preparing the questions for this interview, just thinking about our culture, having this just strong desire for hope and for purpose, you know, there's just such a struggle for it. It really dominates conversations of people looking around and trying to fill spaces. But there's also like, it's just this dichotomy of like, they're looking for purpose and hope, but they also are so committed to this unbelief of Christ's death and resurrection. So what are they messing out on as, as they're stuck in this dichotomy? Yeah. In the way culture developed, the thing that slowly happened is the removal of God from the picture. And when you remove God from the picture, you remove the intrinsic value that all human beings have and their purpose. That's all found in God. And so if I had to make the answer short, I mean, that's what we're missing is ultimately what's the the purpose behind everything. Christian culture assumes that God is the at the center of everything and his deep love for shown for us and the hope by the very visible and tangible event of the resurrection is the thing he gives us to show because this happened, mm-hmm. you know that there is nothing that stands between you and me mm-hmm. and my love for you and that gives you purpose and hope. And I think that in a society like ours that is comparatively affluent, to mm-hmm. the rest of the world. And we've been blessed by great technological development and so forth. The The mortality of life and just the, the hardness and rigor of life in terms of a struggle with life and death is much more distant from us. Mm-hmm. And so even more so than with life comes the blessing of, I want to do something with this life and I want to find purpose with it. But if you if you don't start at the very foundational level with the reason that I have a life that would have any purpose at all is because the creator who made me made me for a reason mm-hmm. and redeemed me so that I don't have to spend my life like so many people in the world wondering 
am I right with whatever is controlling everything out there? Right. And I'm, you know, can I understand how life works or anything like that? Like those questions don't go away, but mm-hmm. the, the deep hope and trust that comes from knowing like I'm going through something really hard right now. Like if you just read through the Psalms, for example, like over and over again, how, why are you distant? Why do you hide yourself from me? How long, oh Lord? And yet I will trust in you. I know that you're going to hear me. I know you'll act in your time. I don't agree with how you're doing things <laughs> now, but yeah. I know you're going to, I like those, that's what you're missing out on. So the desire to say, well, I have to really understand how a resurrection is possible has sort of elevated human reason above revelation from God and made that superior. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And again, that's just a flip-flop of, right. of what things are. And you'll hear people talk about you know, facts versus faith, mm. but for most of, most of the world's history, belief in something that you can't see and feel and experience was considered a more significant and more meaningful belief because you know, anybody can look and observe things and believe that's true, right? But, right. but what about committing to something outside of all that? So it's just interesting how culture and science and scientific advancements and all those things to sort of flip some of those ideas on their heads and in so doing maybe dethroned. Right. So the centrality of scripture, I'm just thinking about it from the perspective of people who have God's word, who are committed to reading it and digesting and really letting it shape their lives. Mm-hmm is the cultural shift, you know, for am I going to live in purpose and hope versus, you know, people who are putting something other than God's word at the center, whether it's themselves or a relationship or other things that they're seeking power in, whether it's their career or just another deity, that that is going to shift them away from that hope. So, I mean, language communities around the world, bringing it into their own language, what shifts, like what is it that you experienced personally uh, as you worked with the Shikala Hari translation team, working alongside them, especially with the resurrection account in Luke is what you worked with. Yep, yeah, Luke is the only Shikala Hari book published right now, so that's the one I can definitely talk about, although the rest is coming soon, right? And uh, the joy of the resurrection can be there's even more so. The before the Shikalahari Luke came out, the Luke they would have used is in this Setswana Bible. Mm-hmm. And if I'm looking at that, even the heading says Solkhoyaha Jesu, which means well, it's supposed to mean the resurrection of Jesus, and that is what it means, but but the word Sulcha is uh, to stand up. So um verse six, uh Hayo Fauzuhili, that's um Jesus isn't here and you know, he is risen mm-hmm. is what we would say in Luke twenty four, verse six. And he is risen is a good translation there too. It's just that this is the same when I see and greet somebody in Setswana, the after I've said, you know, the equivalent of hello, the next thing I ask them is, How did you get up today? And mm. it's that same exact word. You mm-hmm. know? And the same in Shakalahari, uh, as we worked through um what you would say, it's still uh verse six says uh ha ho ho, which means he's not here, na zulcha, he's risen. And uh same thing, if in Shikalahari I'm greeting somebody, then I ask them how they, the next thing I ask them, the equivalent of how you doing is how'd you get up, which is wazucha. And I'm not saying that people reading that think, oh, we're just talking that Jesus was asleep and he woke up. That's right. that's not the case because the Bible 
doesn't ever function in a vacuum. There is teaching here, and and of course the chapter before he was clearly dead and he was mm-hmm. buried, and three days went mm-hmm. by. And but it does go to show the deficit of human language to try to explain what happened, right? Right. That we have this word resurrection in English, and I'd say that's probably formed by our long exposure to Christian culture, mm-hmm. and that there was some idea of you know people coming back from the dead in the the older languages of scripture as well but that doesn't exist in other places and it's hard to describe Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. i again i would never say well people don't adequately understand the resurrection because of the words Mm -hmm. but at the same time none of us really adequately understand the resurrection because it's so outside the scope of what we're used to you know when i stood at the the side of the casket of my mother Mm -hmm. at her funeral i did not expect that when I was standing there, she was just going to wake up. And we don't Mm -hmm. expect that death looks and is terrible. And it looks terrible. Mm -hmm. What the resurrection does is say, this is not how it will end. And this, this is the ultimate image of the effects of humans rebellion, human beings rebellion in the world. But there's something greater than this. But we still don't expect it to happen right now, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. We know that uh, resurrection for us is something that we are waiting for. And so where am I going with this? It's hard to put language around that. It's Mm -hmm. really hard to put language around that. Mm -hmm. And I think that that then speaks to the task of the preacher and the Christian community to say, let's rally around this concept and let's really keep it central and in focus as we as we go about our lives as Christian people Mm -hmm. and as a Christian community, that the hope and the joy and the love that we have for each other aren't just commands that sort of come in isolation or nice things that we should do, but they all find their completeness or their, their root in the resurrection without the resurrection, as Paul says in, in the letters to the Corinthians, it's all meaningless. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So do you feel like as people are reading the resurrection accounts in their own language and then, further on in Acts and and in the epistles as they're pointing to the recollection of the resurrection and what the implications are. Do you feel that there are more questions or less questions as people are reading it and engaging with it in their own language? I think that the, the, the thing I've noticed is that people just really feel like this message is found a home in my heart and in my culture because if we would talk about something like this happening this is how we would talk about it this is the language and the words that we would have and as the as you go through the scripture narrative they see the the narrative continue to unfold and the apostles start to understand the implications of all this and the weight they put on it it just continues to unfold that way for them too that that in the same way that we may struggle with what does this really mean and how can it, what are the implications really for us? We see that the, the original apostles who had walked with the Lord himself also mm-hmm. had to struggle through and, and, and learn what it meant. No, that's really true. Of, I think about when I engage with scripture and, you know, in some ways it, it answers a lot of my questions, but then at the same time, when you think about a really engaging sermon or a really engaging reflection on church history how much more so with god's word that we start to have more and more questions like our questions have questions and it is just i feel like the holy spirit prompting us forward in more relationships with one another to point one another to uh, scripture but also 
to further and deepen our relationship with him. Yeah. Yeah, when I get the privilege of preaching on resurrection, certainly the texts from the Gospels that actually report the resurrection are are wonderful, and you see the, the wonder and everything. But I also like digging into some of those early texts in Acts where John and mm. Peter... They're just are, on fire. <laughs> they're just on fire because it's like, yeah, we saw this. We, we are witnesses of this, and we can't stop talking about it. Mm-hmm. Or... Revelation chapter one, where Jesus is seen again, and this this is um, you know he's just so different than the than Jesus in the, his time of ministry. Here it says, well, there's this crazy description of him, and uh, then he says in uh, Revelation one seventeen, "Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore." He's the mm-hmm. the first person that can say that, and yet someday we will all be able to say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, except for those of us who remain when when Jesus returns, if we haven't died yet. But every one of us will be able to say, I died, but I'm alive forevermore. So thank you guys for joining us on this very special time of unpacking the resurrection. And we hope that you have a blessed just Easter weekend, but Easter season. You are Easter people, and God is uh, leading you forth in hope and joy as we look forward to the hope of life with him. Yeah, and if we can be the first to sort of sneak in, uh, Christ is risen. He is is risen risen indeed. indeed. Hallelujah, because even if it's Good Friday and you're listening, there's no day since that first Easter Sunday that those words aren't true, and they're true for you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. Look for past episodes at lbt.org slash podcast or on your favorite podcast platform. Follow Lutheran Bible Translators' social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or go to lbt.org to find out how you can get involved in the Bible translation movement and put God's Word in their hands. The Essentially Translatable podcast was produced and edited by Andrew Olson. Our executive producer is Emily Wilson. Podcast artwork was created by Caleb Rodewald and Sarah Lyons. Music written and performed by Rob Veit. I'm Richard Oski. So long for now.